Hi ladies, you're listening to The Goodness Podcast. My name is Noor Tahini. I'm the co-founder of Goodness and I'll be your host today. Goodness was launched in 2018 as a platform dedicated to tackling topics surrounding women's health in a real and honest way. And we're continuing on that mission with the launch of this podcast series, which will feature real women and real stories from the Middle East. My guest on the podcast today is Sundus Hamza, a woman at the forefront of the fight against gender-based violence in the region. She is part of Abolish 153, an organization fighting against honor killings in Kuwait. This podcast is sadly very timely, as we release it just one day after the brutal murder of Ahlam in Jordan, who was killed by her father in the middle of her neighborhood. We dedicate this podcast to all the women who have lost their lives to honor killings and have added some links to the show notes should you wish to educate yourself on the topic. And side note, we wanted to keep bringing you valuable content during these times, so this episode of the podcast was recorded over Zoom. Please bear with the sound quality. Hi, Sundos. Hi, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. How are you? Alhamdulillah, all, all well. Good. All well. Thanks for joining me today from Kuwait. You're in Kuwait City, right? Yes, and thanks for having me uh, with you. Um, I've met you once. Uh, everything is virtual these days, but I mean, it's nice to get to know more people who share the uh, certain causes that make uh, our life a little bit better. So, this, you're one of the founding members of Abolish 153. Yes. Which was started in 2015? 15. Yes. Could you explain to our listeners a little bit what is Article 153 and what are you aiming to do? So Article 153 is about honor killing in Kuwait. As you are aware, there's a lot of um, um, honor killing articles uh, throughout the Middle East. And it allows guardians to kill uh, their sister, their wife, their mother, their daughters, if they see them in a situation of uh, sexual connotation. And he can kill her, kill her partner. What we, when we first started, it was uh, three years of prison or the equivalent of uh, 3,000 rupees, which translates today to around 45 Kuwaiti dinars. When we started, of course, it was a shock to a lot of people in Kuwait that we, first of all, that there, there is such an article, but also because the penalty was unreasonable. And the founders, uh, Anud al-Sharikh and uh, Lulu al-Sabah, decided to uh, tackle this article because it's a bit demeaning. It's one of the most demeaning articles. And it, if we start with one of the worst articles we will be, uh, and abolish them, we will be able to tackle other um, penal codes that are in conflict to whatever Kuwait has signed um, or ratified for, uh, to protect women and girls in Kuwait. I had a look at your website and I was reading about Article 153 of the Kuwaiti Penal Code. And mm-hmm. it stated that when you, when you first started, the, the sort of penalty for killing your wife, mother, sister, daughter, who, if you ever caught her engaged in an unsavory, is the wording, sexual mm-hmm. act. Yes. Yeah. The, the penalty for a man was, was manslaughter and it's as low, it was as low as 15 dinars, 15 uh, Kuwaiti dinars. It was, it was because 
it's a misdemeanor. And again, all over the, the Gulf states, for, I think for the exception of Iran or the Arab states, uh, Arab countries, for the exception of Iran, most of the honor killing um, was derived from the Napoleonic uh, um, crime uh, against passion, which was passed in 18, uh, I think 18, 1800s. Uh, it was an article also, three to, I think article 324, and of course it was uh, repealed in 1975. So you'll see the same kind of article in Algeria and Egypt and Jordan and Kuwait and Bahrain and Libya and Oman and Syria, many, many, many places. Mm -hmm. Iran is the only one that based it on Sharia. So, so it's a penal code that was not intentionally kept, to be honest, but certain people specifically the one the nomadic who uh, are all over the peninsula uh, realize their existence and have used it the most in your sort of manifesto it states that this article is not sharia compliant and it goes against islamic law and it goes against a lot of the treaties that were ratified by kuwait that state uh, certain you know uh, gender equalities or protection for women so for us to be able to Uh, work with this law, we had to get the uh, consensus from a few of um, uh, the imams. So we went and spoke to a few of them and we got their opinions. And we realized that nothing in the Quran mentions honor killing. Nothing. Right? And adultery is treated in the Quran as zani was zaniya. So both uh, the woman and the, uh, the man are treated equally when it comes to adultery. Having said that, Kuwait and also the, most of the Arab states have an adultery law, and it is in compliance with our constitution, and it treats men and women equally, so there's no, no differences in gender. And you cannot uh, commit, or you cannot be the judge and the jury and the perpetrator at the same time. You have to you have to report it. You have evidences. There's there's a, a whole process, a legal process, a criminal mm -hmm. process, five years in prison, so on and so forth. Uh, you know, it depends. So when we started this, we said there are two. This is two contradicting laws. Mm -hmm. If you are talking about adultery and it is in Sharia, then we have to conform to Sharia and to the Constitution. Why should we have another law that allows? something like honor killing when again it like i said it's not part of a quran or the constitution mm -hmm. so i remember saying we mentioned this uh, to the parliament and then a few of the mps said what do you want us to do do you want to be treated the same so women can do the same to men to men uh, of course that was not the intention the intention is to completely abolish it because it, it, you cannot have people um, making their own judgment. So it could be as simple as a woman is, is in the living room um, with her cousin, who, a male cousin, and they're talking and someone would see it as something that is, is not proper and they would yeah. he would kill them. Yeah. It's very open to interpretation, basically. And it has been open to interpretation and it has been implemented in such a way People know what they're doing. People in the men who feel that they have a guardianship over women believe that what they're doing is to the benefit of the family mm. in most cases, and and they they want to commit that crime because it's an honor of the family. Yeah. 
What have you, uh, so it's been 2015, so we're 2020, so it's been five years now. What have you seen in terms of shifts in ter when it comes to this article code? So from a constitutional point of view or from parliament point of view, we were um, able in 2017 to have five members of the parliament uh, to sign a bill to, of course, end honor killing. By having these five people signing it, we gave it an urgent status. But of course, due to the backlog of uh, legislations, the change remains uh, to be made. So I think Kuwait has been very slow in revoking or abolishing this, uh, this law. The good thing, however, is that people, when we first started, uh, people, the word violence or honor killing was off the books. Um, and now, after all these years of us pushing for this issue, doing studies, um, people started talking about it and it's, it's no longer a taboo. It used to, the word, the word, as you know, in the Arab world, violence against children, violence against women still is, to a certain extent, a taboo. But when a lot of NGOs and CSOs started talking about it, at least there is an arg a discussion in, this, in, the, in society. And, and that, that discussion is important for um, when we go to the parliament, when we discuss it with the MPs, when we go to the pressure groups that, that have a certain influence on the constitu constituencies. So I feel that we've uh, moved forward in making it an acceptable cause as opposed to being a taboo and being, why should we fight for uh, um, honor killing when we can fight about other women issues? But again, I feel the parliament has been very, very slow Again, like I said, it's part of it because of a backlog. My feeling is that there is a very big pressure in the parliament from the um, Islamists and the uh, nomadic society. And that pressure is keeping it further in the backlog. Were you ever scared of taking on something so big? Yes and no. Yes, as, as Sindus, as, as, as a group, the the five founders, yes, we felt scared because uh, we will always be seen as women who are advocating for the weakening of uh, male guardianship. Mm -hmm. And of course, in a nomadic society and in a, in, in a society that has a strong Islamic influence, this means that we might be threatened and we've been threatened. You have. Of course, yeah. I mean, I wouldn't say threatened as in killing us, but I w yes, threatened as in we are feminists, we are women who are asking women to leave their homes, um, we're asking them to leave their family uh, unit, so on and so forth. So, you know, there is pressure against us. But the five founders are strong, um, and we've been working with women issues in our own ways uh, for a long time, and we feel that we can stand up for this, this cause. What, what scares us most now is because honor killing got associated by nature to uh, violence against women and abuse. And we have a lot of, uh, a lot of cases now who are, we're helping to come out of abusive relationships. 
physically, mentally, economically, and so on and so forth. And in in a, in a country like Kuwait, where we don't have shelters um, and counseling centers, we end up uh, taking these women sometimes with their children and hosting them in safe houses. And sometimes, uh, actually a couple of times, um, these women or their children disclosed, uh, disclose where they are. And um, we were in position of uh, being threatened even more because our names are there. Our names are with, with, uh, with the victims. So they know the victims know our names and the victims also know our phone numbers. And we've been you know, the, the husband or the perpetrator uh, would call us or would send mm. us WhatsApp calls and would threaten us because, again, uh, we are threatening the unit. Uh, they don't see themselves as people who they believe, a lot of them believe that they have the right to discipline their wives or sisters or, or, yeah. or mothers or whoever based on the misconception of or their 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 perception Inter- of what the Quran says, interpretation, yeah, which, yeah, which is which is not true, but you know, so this is what was uh, and continues to be scary because there's no law to protect us. There's no law to protect these women in in abusive relationship. We don't have a law. Kuwait doesn't have a, a woman uh, a law to protect women from uh, gender based violence. So we're exposed, and and we're pushing now more than ever to with another draft law in the parliament to pass uh, a gender-based violence um, protection law for we called it a family protection law but it's mm-hmm. not a family it's it's towards women and uh, girls uh, from the age of 18 and, and above so this is still scary and will continue to be scary until kuwait uh, passes uh, a law to protect us when we when we help these women what do you think will pass first, the abolishing of the article or the law to protect women? A law, a law to protect women. The article 153 is, it's a hard one to pass. We have, we have uh, elections in November. Uh, there's no one, no one who's going to be wanting to discuss this now uh, because they're going to lose the votes of the uh, nomadic society. So um, I don't think it will pass. Uh, one five three will will be there for a while, at least until the the, the new uh, parliament uh, or the MPs are elected. Mm. Now, of course, when I say we have five MPs who are supporting us, that that doesn't make them the only MPs. But they are, we needed only five to make it to give it a, an immediate status or an urgent status. Mm-hmm. So yes, there are more. There's about I think now ten who are supporting us, but it's not enough for for it to come out of uh, wherever it's being discussed towards voting it uh, mm-hmm. in, in, uh, during one of the parliamentary sessions. When you say nomadic society, you mean like the, the tribal, the, the sort of tribal culture that exists in Kuwait? Yes. So it doesn't just exist in Kuwait. The tribal society is uh, in the whole Arabian Peninsula. Mm-hmm. We have a case... He's Jordanian. Uh, his his daughter is Jordanian. She came to Kuwait, lived in Kuwait, and worked in Kuwait, and decided to marry a Lebanese. And her husband, her dad in in Jordan, just said, "This is not accepted. You should not marry a, a Lebanese." And she married him. the The father came to Kuwait and killed her. He killed her, and he activated 
153, and he said it's the same law that we have in Jordan. So the wow. whole Arabian Peninsula has it, and all the tribes know it. All the tribes, be it in Jordan, in Dubai, in, in the Emirates, in Bahrain, in Saudi, in, in Libya, all of them know that this is a law that exists all over uh, the Arab world. And that they can basically hide behind after they've yeah. done something like this. When I say hide, um, there is, again, there's the other side of the, le- uh, the, the lawyers who tell us and the judges who says in, in 90% of the cases, we know it's not a crime of passion. And we will uh, try uh, the perpetrator as a killer, as a, as a crime. Um, what we keep on saying is that perpetrator didn't know that he will be tried as a criminal. And he went ahead and killed her. So not if, if you assume there's a family behind these two, the, the father and the mother, the father killed the mother thinking he'll get away with it and he'll be out in, um, um, by paying 45 KD. Uh, and he, he won't. So the mother is gone and the father is going to be uh, tried as a criminal and he'll probably have 25 years. So why keep the law? If you think that he will not get away with it because he'd had the time to think about it and he went to the you know, kitchen and got a knife and this by itself doesn't uh, constitute a crime of passion or uh, he had time to think about it. So if, if that is the case, why allow the law to stay and, and, uh, and uh, lose two parents because uh, just remove the, 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 the law and, and, and keep it based on adultery law. So you're saying that if the lawyers are able to prove that it was premeditated in any way, then they can charge them criminally as a murder as opposed to yes. a yes. manslaughter. Exactly. And a lot of them are. But what's the use? He killed her. What's the use? Yeah, he killed her thinking that he was going to be protected. And maybe if he didn't exactly. think he would be protected, he wouldn't have killed her. He would not have even mm. attempted it, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. I get yeah. what you mean. Yeah. So you guys started on, or you ladies, sorry, uh, started on Abolish 153 and you were focused on Article 153 and you used that as a jumping board to tackle more women's rights issues or more uh, gender-based violence issues in Kuwait. We had to. Mm. Why do you say you had to? Because when a woman is killed based on honor killing, there's, you know, it's not a lot of them report it. And even if it's caught or if someone reports it, they say, we don't know where where our friend is. Uh, Very few cases, you can prove them that it is uh, honor killing. So uh, the man is smart enough. He will get rid of her. He will say that she went to Saudi Arabia to get married, so on and so forth. But what happens is that many of these women prior to such incidents get abused because that's the kind of relationship they would be having with their husbands or their brothers. So we got a lot of calls asking us to help these women and we weren't ready for it. We, we didn't win an advocacy campaign. We're a campaign that want to change the law. We want to pass a new law. But when we saw all these women reaching out to us through Instagram and, and Twitter, 
we decided that we need to find a way to help them. And that is why we had a sister campaign called Ithar. And Ithar is basically uh, dealing with gender-based violence. Again, it was an advocacy campaign. We wanted to draft a law to protect women from gender-based violence and so on and so forth. And then again, we got dragged into trying to help them out in situations. Why? Because the helpline in Kuwait is not really a helpline. There wasn't even a helpline until we came, uh, Ithar came to in the picture. And the helpline is not fully functional. And if it is functional, it's uh, the, the police or what we call com- community police or uh, family police don't know what to do with it. They just tell them to go to the police station and report it. And that's not how you should tackle um, gender-based violence because these women, the last thing they want to do is to go to the police station and report it. So we started advocating for shelters and for counseling centers and so on and so forth. And again, the government, I don't want to say the word attempted uh, because attempt means there there will be milestones that they, they have to achieve. They, they attempted by just pretending to have a, a place, a center. Uh, they, they announced that it is uh, going to be open. That was in 2017 when myself and, and uh, my colleague Amira Bebahani went to uh, the CEDAW meeting. And in the CEDAW meeting in Geneva, Kuwait uh, delegation mentioned that they will have a shelter and a counseling center. So Kuwait announced it, but they never opened it, never uh, staffed it, N- nothing till today, till today. So again, they called the number, they don't know what, what to do. So we had to then extend our support and provide them with a place to go. And we started thinking about how to help them out with safe houses and so on and so forth. And of course, we had to not only raise awareness, but raise funds because, you know, we're just a, a small team. And we had to raise funds to, to get them hosted in safe houses and to pay for lawyers, pay for the psychological rehabilitation which led us to much, much more now during the COVID because it's not just psychological rehabilitation, but there's also medical rehabilitation, there's physical rehabilitation, there's children around them. So we had to extend our reach to help these women. We couldn't leave them behind just because we were in an advocacy campaign. So now we're an advocacy campaign, but we're also trying to, to become a shelter. So you weren't planning this at all. You basically got sort of, um, I don't want to say dragged because that's not the right word, but you yeah. sort of fell into this because of the of the advocacy work that you were doing and these women started to contact you. And so you are raising money and yourselves renting homes to put these women in and finding doctors to work with them. And that's amazing. Doctors, uh, we, uh, during the COVID, uh, not only doctors, psychologists, pharmacies, you know, we have to put, when you get an apartment, you have to get them all the necessities. So we've worked with uh, partners like IKEA, we par- partners like, you know, like Best of Yusufi and so on, just to help us out during the COVID because who's going to give them a full-fledged apartment uh, during the COVID and, and let them be at least, you know, able to cook on their own. And we found out that many of these ladies during the COVID were young. They were 21, 22. So yes, we can take them because 
under 21, if we take them or help them, we will be accused of kidnapping. Mm. So we can't, we can't till today help anybody under uh, 21. So at least the 21 and above, we help them out. And we realize that as usual, when you're in an abusive relationship, your perpetrator keeps you uh, shielded from family, very weak. You become weaker and weaker in thinking that you can do your own thing. So there's a lot of rehabilitation, how to cook, how to clean, how to um, go to the, uh, to ask for uh, assistance for, in supermarket stuff that you, me and you would take for granted that we, we as women are capable of doing. And we're surprised to see in 2020, women who are not able to do these things for themselves because, again, they've been put down for so long that they felt they became emotionally weak and they have very, uh, no confidence in their abilities. We've also partnered with a couple of universities. Once, once universities open to uh, readmit or admit them into the, the programs, We've partnered with uh, one bank because one of them uh, uh, is a graduate. So uh, they're offering um, one of these uh, victims a job. And we will partner with other uh, CSOs to see how we can allow them to have skills to, to sustain uh, themselves later on, to uh, financially sustain themselves. So we're asking the Ministry of Social Affairs now to provide us with proper home which we will manage, we will run, we will raise funds to uh, have uh, social workers as well with us, and so on. So hopefully this will materialize since the issue of the shelter, the official shelter, seems to be a long way from being um, instated. And indefinitely on hold, yeah. And And I think it's on hold because, again, there's that feeling that we're advocating or the shelter will be used for girls who just don't want to be with their family because, for instance, they smoke, yeah, and their parents don't. No, you know, what we keep on saying, no, this is not a five-star hotel. This is not a vacation. We're not taking the, you know, these women were not going to come to us just because they're going to have a freedom, the freedom of living the way they want to live because it's not an easy life. They have to depend on us. They have, we have to raise money for them. It's, yani, it's the bare minimum that they have to live. So they're not going to choose it if, if it's just to get freedom. Of, they, only, they will only leave their homes or their families if they're really in need of it. And that is because they've been abused. If they're in danger, yeah. I don't see Kuwait as a government doing stuff in a malice it's not intentionally it's not out of malice yeah 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 it's just sometimes it's hard for a a male dominated society to see that what we're trying to do is not to undermine them and it's not to undermine their power over women yeah again uh, violence against women always boils down to uh gender power relations right mm-hmm, because mm-hmm. and 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 again women feel that they have to women who are in these relationships they always feel that they have to modify their behavior to survive domestic violence they want to please their partner they want to protect uh, the reputation of the family so some some women are in denial of 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 domestic violence right 
slowly we're we're getting out of this uh, uh, taboo, and 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 I think we're getting out of it because when there is hurt, when you're you might be killed, uh, when uh, your brother tells you, if you don't listen to my dad, I'm gonna come and kill you. You take this seriously. No one should be abused, male or female, right? No one, men, women, nobody should be abused for whatever reason, yeah? But our cause is women. And we need to make women realize that they should come out of relationships that is hurting them or hurting their children. And I think we're not doing bad. I think the whole of the Arab world is now uh, coming up with a lot of changes. I see countries like Egypt and Tunisia, for instance, who've added references in in, uh, the law uh, specifically to combat violence against women, yeah, in their constitution. So there, you know, even Algeria, Bahrain, uh, Jordan have passed specific laws that are aimed to prevent violence against women and uh, domestic violence. So yes, we're, we're moving forward uh, and, and we're breaking that perception that we're, we're trying to help women. Mm. To undermine men, yeah. Undermine men. Yeah. I think To your point, it seems like there are three steps that need to be taken. The, there's one step, and in no particular order, but there's one step, which is to change legislation. There's one mm-hmm. step, which is to make women aware of the fact that this is actually wrong and you do have a right to live differently than in fear or in violence. And then the third one is to make the shift with the men. Yep. And so that's more of a cultural shift that needs to, yes. to happen. I think laws have to be passed first. And, and then, and then we ch- as we do that, we change the, the, the norm, right? If you, if you try to change the norm, but the law is not helping you, yeah, there, there will be no accountability, accountability right? Yeah. So like they did in the West, you have laws that protect. The, uh, they might not be perfect laws and they might not be always implemented well to the, you know, I mean, we have laws of divorce and women would never see the, a, a penny from their, their husbands, right? Uh, divorcees. But but the law is there and, and then you push for the changes. Then you push why the woman should be receiving alumni, whatever you call the word in English, uh, from her husband. <laughs> yes, from her husband, yeah. The same thing has to happen here. Laws have to be there to protect women the same way they protected children from violence. And then slowly we'll, we'll bring the change, whether it is through our educational system or through media or through social media, will make will some of it of course to shame men and some of them some of it is to tell them you're not in charge of women uh, there were cases where i mean one 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 younger man came to me and he said what do you expect me to do when my sister is not listening to us and she wants for instance to speak to her boyfriend on the phone and i said do anything but don't hit her yeah. you can't hit her and he goes, but she's not going to listen. And I said, it's not your job. You have to uh, help her understand. You have to make her understand if this is not something that you want her to do while she's under, you know, your father's guardianship, whatever. You can't hit her. 
and he was at awe. He couldn't understand what I'm saying. He really thought this is his job. So, I mean, of course we need to tell these men or these youngsters that it's not your job. You don't have to hit someone to make them change to go by your uh, society norms, you know? So I, I feel sorry for them sometimes because the whole thing, the whole, the whole uh, system c- cycle, yeah, is going towards you're responsible, you're supposed to do this, you're the man of the family, you're your protector. Why? You know? But of course, that's on my cause. At the end of the day, you know, let me concentrate on women and girls at this point and someone else will do the rest of it. Yeah. I was, yeah. I was reading an article that was saying that the, the, flip side of the coin of violence on women is this uh, toxic masculinity suppressed men and so mm-hmm. it's just they're just two sides of the same coin actually yeah but you yes. can i i agree with you that one at a time right and someone else might yes maybe someone else will take the lead in, in in making that change or help us and work with us i mean I, we always welcome any kind of engagement that will allow us to uh, help the issue, be it, uh, you know, and, and thankfully we have a, a lot of CSOs who's working on these issues now. So it's good. It's amazing, for, to be honest. Mm-hmm. I read an article today about a woman who was killed in Egypt. I don't know if you read that article, but she was killed in Egypt by a man who her husband hired to go and rape her so that the husband could walk in on them See that say that she was cheating on him and mm-hmm. divorce her because he wanted to divorce her and he wanted to have the support of the system or the families, etc. And she fought back and the employee who was hired by the husband ended up killing her. Um, and you basically end up in this like unimaginable situation. And this is not this is not just a, a, a one off story. You no. know, that's the problem. We see this a lot. I mean, there was a, in Kuwait uh, last year, a woman was, uh, um, the remains of a woman was found in the desert. And we, you know, after investigation, it was the brother who killed her. And the only thing he said is it was an honor killing and no one knows. What happened? Yeah. Why? What was it? Was it because she had a a friend? Uh, She talked to a friend? I mean, we have some violence. Uh, there's a girl with us now um, who we're helping. Her dad brought her back from the UK, uh, discontinued her scholarship. She's an A student because she has male uh, uh, colleagues and she speaks to them on the phone as male colleagues. This is not a boyfriend issue. This is male colleagues. And his condition was if you go to the state, uh, to, the, to the UK to study, is that you maintain the same conservative ethics and values that we've have here in Kuwait. And then he, when he brought her back, she said, I want to go back, I want to go back. And they started abusing her and hitting her. And she was basically locked down in her room for um, days and days and weeks. And she reached out to someone in the States and that someone got to us. And we still have her. She's, she's above 21. It's purely based on the fact that they're her parents felt that she wasn't conservative enough. She didn't do anything wrong. I mean, her future is gone, right? Because now, uh, for what? So again, it's, you can't leave it up to people's um, perception to decide what's honor and what's not honor. And we've seen cases, not only in the Arab world, in Afghanistan, in Pakistan, mm. what constitutes an honor? It's a loosely used word, right? 
So it's not because of a sexual connotation whatsoever. Uh, of course, not that I'm saying that if, even if it was uh, or had any sexual connotation, it's not this, the man's job to come and kill them. But I'm saying sometimes uh, in societies like the Arab societies, we have to be very careful. Someone who is wearing hijab, she took off her hijab, she's abused. Mm-hmm. We have a, a couple of girls who smoke, just smoke, nothing more, no, nothing. And they're abused because they smoke. And then when they couldn't, uh, the family couldn't deal with it because they're rebellious and they smoke, they kicked them out and left them in the streets. And the police station called us and said, can you help us? We don't know what to do with these two girls. So we took them in. The behavior of society has to be modified. Yeah. But in the meanwhile, we need to do the, the the firefighting is now protect the women. Yeah. Have a system for these women to report abuse. Uh, find out if there is, uh, for instance, uh, sh- why should they go to the police station? This is what we're trying to change. They should go straight to the hospital where they should report uh, and document the abuse. And in the police station, there should be someone who protects her from the the the, the legal system, uh, not the legal, the, the police, so that her abuser is not uh, behind her. And then you go to report it in whatever uh, police station that you need to report it in. There's a lot of things that don't make sense. There's no helpline. There's no shelter. There's no counseling. There's no, uh, we didn't have rape kits, for God's sake. We didn't have rape kits. How do I, how do we find out if she's raped or not raped? There's sexual abuse uh, cases by the brothers. We've had a case against two brothers who've sexually abused this girl who's Pakistani. Of course, we, we helped her out and our lawyer was able to have them convicted and she went. She was taken to um, a, a hospital for mental illness, and she was rehabilitated. And guess what? They after she, they released her, she went back home. What did the father do? Abuse her. Wow. Sexually, again. Wow. So it's a cycle. We, we, it's a cycle, and we, yeah. we all have to work on it. You know, like you said, there's advocacy, there's change of behavior, and there is firefighting, immediate yeah. help for these people. Yeah. I guess my last question for you would be, have you ever given thought to where does all of this come from? How did we get here with this sort of scale tipped completely to the disfavor of women? I don't think it tipped. I think it's always been there. One in eight women have, uh, is reported to be abused all throughout the world, not just Islamic, not just the Arab world. I think it has two facets. I think there is, of course, the mental, mental issues that the perpetrator has. And the other one is the guardianship issue. Men, uh, be it Arabs or no Arabs, always feel that a woman should accept the word of a man, be a good wife. Uh, he's the, the person who has the last word. And many believe that um, when a woman doesn't do this, uh, she needs to be hit. It doesn't help that we have a, a, a verse that has been misconstrued, uh, which is that people think that when a woman doesn't listen to her husband, she should be hit, hit, physically hit, which is not the case, which is not the right uh, interpretation of, uh, of the ayah. We have to make sure that there are, in a country like Kuwait, enough women 
representing the cause of women. Not enough women imitating a man. So when you come, you, when you go to the parliament and and you win by being or imitating the personality of a man or advocating for uh, issues that a man advocates for, that's that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about women who go to the, who who are elected, be it in in the parliament or in women entities that uh, that are uh, close uh, or are part of the government whose roles are to look into all the issues that make women feel weak or demeaned or not protected they need to run on women's issues basically exactly you can't everybody's talking about women empowerment now right we're all about women empowerment and all of that but you know i can't marry an un-Kuwaiti and have my kids have their national the kuwaiti nationality i can't be protected from violence against women i can't you know so how what why empowerment mm. why are we talking about empowerment when we're not protected and we don't have all of these issues tackled so you have to bring them out in the public not everybody is entitled and and these women have to 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 pass laws one after the other women law women issues should not take uh, 10 years to pass and unfortunately in the arab world that's what's happening mm-hmm. of course again there is the exception like i said before there are laws that are now in many countries including neighboring countries that are may, uh, are changing there are commu- uh, uh, the government even kuwait has a has a, a women c- committee that reports to the prime minister but they need to be the whole system has to say we need to run with this we can't take our time mm-hmm. we women should always try to help uh, other women to reach in a position where they can make these changes And I'm very happy that Kuwait now have uh, five women judges. This is, the, you know, an amazing uh, achievement for us. Very soon we'll have, what's Mukhtar? I, I don't know what Mukhtar is. Uh, mayor? Mayor, yeah, yeah. Yeah, like a mayor, like a mayor. So now very soon we're going to have also uh, women elected as mayors. So good, we're moving. Because everything will go towards helping uh, uh, the issues, uh, all the issues of women. But, you know, as long as when these women are in power, they they put some of their efforts towards this. Yeah, I, I keep on telling my children and I'm, I, you know, why should I ask to be like a man? I don't want to be like a man. We are we are, in my opinion, uh, better than men. In many cases, we have we multitask. We have uh, we're mothers. We're work, you know, the, but we need the system to help us uh, realize uh, our potential. And if women reach uh, positions and imitate a man, then you're not realizing your potential. We, we are capable of realizing their, our potential, but the laws have, have to be passed to protect us. Mm-hmm. The system needs to be able to support that change. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Sundas, thank you so much for your time. And honestly, good luck. You guys are doing incredible work. And if there's any way that we can support you, just let me know. And I really hope that I get to meet you in person one day. One of these days, I'll come to you to, to uh, the Emirates. I'm dying to go back to uh, post-corona. Again. Yeah, post-corona. Thank you, Sundas. Have a lovely evening. Take care. Bye. Thanks for listening today. 
If you're not familiar with Goodness, head to www.goodness.me to access the online platform and articles and follow us at Goodness on Instagram. If you enjoyed this podcast, please rate, review and share it and we'll see you next week.